the head to start, and then I'll go there. Hey everyone, welcome to South Point Online. My name is Tanner, I'm on staff here. I hope that you are safe and that everyone in your family and your friends are safe as well. Recording this here on Saturday night uh, and uh, just looking forward to what we are going to share today. If you're brand new with us, let me introduce South Point and who we are. Uh, we exist for everyone, including you and everyone in your family, your friends, your coworkers, to be able to experience God's unconditional love. Now, before I get into our message this morning, I want to share a few things that are coming up here at South Point. One, on, on Sunday, September the 5th, we are having our annual burgers and baptisms, which we are excited about every single year. It is great. You come, you eat food. You don't even have to bring any food. Just bring a chair, bring a blanket. And if you are interested in being baptized in the ocean, taking that step of faith and going public with your faith, uh, that is something that you can mark in the Connect card uh, in the link below or just comment below or message us. Uh, that would be great. And again, that's September 5th uh, at 5 o'clock at Scarborough Beach on South Beach. And then also coming up on Sunday, September the 12th, is something called Starting Point. So if you are brand new to South Point, you're brand new to faith, or maybe you're coming back to faith after a long time, uh, Starting Point is a nine-week video course that really centers around a conversation about faith. Um, it is something that I would highly, highly encourage. Again, you can sign up in the same ways that I just mentioned uh, in comment below or message us or email us, but I would highly encourage you to sign up for that as well. And this fall, we are kicking off our home groups. Home groups are a great way to uh, connect with other people. When you come, have faith, and uh, have come to Sunday morning church, that's great. Uh, but there's, a little, there's only a little time to connect with other people. So much of faith is in relationship with one another. Home group is one avenue to do that. Usually you gather with uh, six to eight to 10 to 12 people in a home. Uh, you talk about some scripture or some aspect of faith, uh, and you really get to know other people uh, much better, better. It's a great time. So you can sign up in any of the ways that I just mentioned as well. Now, what we are doing this whole year, if you're just joining us or happen to be scrolling and see, see this, well, we are actually teaching through the Gospel of John, which is a biography about Jesus. We're calling this whole year Revealing Jesus. And that's, that's our way of saying that what we believe faith is all about is about this person of Jesus who models and demonstrates this unconditional love of God that he is actually God in flesh. And one of his closest friends, John, took time to write out these stories about his life and about faith. Uh, we are teaching through them in several different series through this year. We just finished a series called Signs, where we looked at the miracles, the signs that John points to. That John was saying, this Jesus, I believe, is God. And here are these truths that these events in the first century have for your life and my life. Now we're in this series that is a, a, like a flip side of that, of that series, this series is called I Am. And we're looking at statements where Jesus talks about who he is. He talks about himself. It's really a question about, about 
Jesus, what do you think about yourself? Who do you think you are? In fact, that's what someone said to him as we saw last week. Jesus, who do you think you are? He answers this time and time again in John's gospel. And, and what John does, in fact, is something unique. John includes seven of these I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. And he includes seven of them because he wants to show what he views about Jesus, what, what he thinks about Jesus, and that Jesus is fully, fully God. This statement, I am, is a statement, as we said last week, just a little review, and this is our second week in this series. Uh, is it, this, this phrase, I am, is a name of God himself from the Old Testament. So what we see here is Jesus showing up and proclaiming that he himself actually is God. Now, here's, here's the beauty of what we're doing this year. This year, we are teaching through this whole gospel. When you teach through a whole book of the Bible, you come across statements of the Bible that may be hard to understand. They may be hard to digest. Uh, they may rub you the wrong way. And, and really, that, those are the statements that we are actually covering today. These are the eye-popping, head-scratching statements of Jesus that some people say are maybe the most extreme statements that he, in, that he includes in his teaching. For us, we don't want to run from that. We want to talk about those, those passages, those statements head on. Let's talk about them. Here's what they mean. And in many ways, if you are brand new to church, the last thing that I want to do or that we want to do here at South Point is to hide any such statement for you. If you're anything like me, when you, when you hear someone talking about faith, and they will talk about their faith. They will say things like, you know, it's going to change your life. It's great. Your life will be better. Sometimes you, you wonder, if you're like me at all, you may, want, you may listen to someone and wonder, okay, what's, what's the catch? Why don't you read me the fine print? Like, tell me, tell me really what's behind the scene. Pull back the curtain. Be real. Be honest. And that's what we're going to do today. We are going to look at the fine print of the teaching of Jesus. We're going to look at what the catch is. In fact, I'm going to name three different catches. You say, what's the catch of following Jesus? I'm going to name three of them today, and they build one on the other, on the other. This story, in fact, starts out with Jesus telling people who are following him, hey, the only reason you are following me is actually because I have given you something. You're only following me because you have received something from me. The passage starts like this, and the, and the passage ends with all of these people leaving Jesus. They're leaving him, and what happens in between is we have people uh, doubting Jesus and questioning Jesus. We have people grumbling about Jesus. We have people fighting and complaining, and then grumbling again, and eventually people leaving. So I'm, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to real quickly go through those verses that I just just referenced and show those to you in scripture. Jesus shows up right at the beginning of this passage here, and here's what he says. They ask him, Jesus, what are you doing? How'd you get here? And he says, you're looking for me. He says, the only interest that you have in me is because you saw a sign. He says, it's not because you saw the signs that I performed, because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. This is right after Jesus had fed 5,000 families miraculously. And he's saying, you, you, you're coming to me, not because of me, not because of how great I am. He says, you're coming to me because of what I have given you. 
And that's how he starts. We go on, we see people's response to, to this statement. Uh, they ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, I'm doubting you. You say that you are this person. You say that you are God. You say that you are the living bread. He says, what sign will you, what sign will you then you give that we may see it? And Jesus, actually believe you. What will you do, Jesus? Why don't you prove yourself to us? We're doubting you. And then they reference something from the Old Testament. And they said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he who gave them bread from heaven to eat. They said, Jesus, look, these people in the past did all these great things. What about you? What do you have to say for yourself? Prove yourself to us. They're questioning Jesus. They go on and they start grumbling about Jesus. Because Jesus is, again, going to give them the fine print. He's going to show them what the catch is. So at this, the Jews there began to grumble about Jesus because he said that I am the bread. Here's what he says about his, himself. He says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? They said, Jesus, we know who you are. You're the son of Joseph, your father and mother. We know. How can you say that you came down from heaven? Uh, in other words, they're saying, Jesus, we know you. We've known you since you were a child. You're, you're, just, you're a kid to us. Who do, who do you think you are? And they grumble against him. Then what happens is they start arguing amongst themselves. They begin to argue sharply. And they say, how can this man give us this flesh to eat? Jesus says, I'm the living bread. I'm going to actually give you my flesh to eat. And they said, Jesus, this makes absolutely no sense. How is this even possible? And it's not just people who are outside. What we see next is actually we see his disciples, people who had previously thought that they were following him. They hear it. They began to grumble. They began to question Jesus. And they said, Jesus, what you are saying about yourself being the living bread from heaven, that your, your, your flesh is bread and your, your, and your blood is like juice. How, how, how is this even possible? This is a hard, hard teaching, Jesus. How, who, can, who can accept this? In other words, Jesus, we've been following you. And look, all this great momentum of all these people who have been following you, we're gaining more and more people. And you have to come along and start talking about you being the bread from heaven and eating flesh. There, Jesus, this makes absolutely no sense. And so what happens is so many people at this hard teaching of Jesus, they leave and they walk away. They no longer follow him. But not everyone did this. Not everyone. There are a few who did not. In fact, when all these people walked away, Simon Peter, the 12 disciples, were left. And Jesus asked them, he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else for us to turn. So we look at this statement here. And I, I share all of that with you because I believe in sharing the scripture with you. And this is a hard teaching. So we ask the question today, what is the catch? Jesus, why did people start following? And then by the end of this passage, they stop following. And again, if you're brand new to this whole thing, let me share this with you. And I'm not hiding anything because I think that your life will actually be... Um, more fulfilled and, and live to the greater purpose if you actually live in the reality of what we're talking about here. So what's the catch? I'm going to name three catches. The first one is the longest. The first one is this, that Jesus is Lord, not just Savior. Jesus is Lord, not just Savior. When you 
are around a church setting, sometimes you will hear this phrase that you refer to Jesus as both Lord and Savior. Those statements are not synonymous. Both of them are equally true, but they're not, they don't mean the exact same thing. To be, to be Lord means to be master, to be king, to be in charge of absolutely everything. It's a statement about someone's greatness. And to be Savior means that Jesus is the one who gives you salvation and that he is the one who gives you his grace and mercy. It's a statement about his character, about his goodness. And Jesus is both Lord and Savior equally. Now, I bring this up because the very first thing that Jesus said to the people, he says, you are following me just because your stomachs were filled, just because I gave you what you wanted. That's the reason you're here. You were here simply because of a need that I met, not because I am Lord. And he says, I want to bring this right to the surface and talk to you about this. Now, this is, this is tough for us to comprehend because, or tough for us to, to, to live in this reality because I believe that so many people, so many people who come to faith, we come to faith because we hit some sort of rock bottom. We hit some point in our life where we say, Jesus, I, just, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I have no other place to turn. We come because precisely we actually need the help that he's talking about. We need this. And we come to him. And that's what so often what, what happens with people of faith. When we talk about Jesus being master, we're, we're talking about Jesus being Lord. It's, it's Jesus actually being in charge. So we see this here in, in John chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus addresses this right on people. He says, you're coming to me for this one specific purpose because you received something. And he says, but here's what I want. Don't, work, don't come to me. Don't just work for food that spoils. He says, but I want you to work for food that endures to eternal life, which only I, the Son of Man, will give you because God the Father has placed a seal of approval on me, Jesus is saying. And then he continues just a few verses later in verse 35. He starts and he declares about himself. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, he says, you will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me, he says, you will never be thirsty. He says, but I told, as I told you, you have seen me. And still, he's addressing people, you've seen me. You've seen me as Lord. You've seen me as king. And still, somehow you don't believe. He says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, God the Father, he says. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those that he has given me, but raise them up. Get this, what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, Jesus is saying, referring to himself, looks to me, he says, and believes in me, that they will have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. What Jesus is telling people, you come to me because of something I've given you and that, that fills your stomach just for a short period of time. And that's great and that's good. He says, but you really need to come to me because of who I am. And then he makes a tremendous statement. He says, I'm going to tell you exactly who I am. I'm going to be the one who actually raises people up at the last day, on the last day of history. I'm going to be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. In fact, there's going to be a period of time where every single king and every single nation actually ages and dies 
and eventually they're written about in history books, and eventually they're forgotten. And he says, out of all those kings, all those kings are going to age and die, and they're going to be gone. He says, but me, I'm the king of all kings. I'm the Lord of all lords. And there's going to be a day in the future where I am, I am actually going to have the power to raise the dead to eternal life. Don't just come to me because of what I can give you here and now. Come to me because of who I am. I am Lord. I am not just Savior. And when we sit and we think about that reality, that Jesus is Lord, that is a grand picture of Jesus. It's a great picture of Jesus. And so oftentimes, if I'm being honest, that's, that's hard. It's a hard picture to deal with because if Jesus is king, if Jesus is in charge, then I'm not. But he's really good at being God. He's really good at being king. And the flip side to this is if we don't come to Jesus as king first, if we come to him just as Savior and we come to him just because of what he gives us, what happens is life will inevitably throw something your way that you don't think should happen. And your faith is going to start to crumble. And you're saying, Jesus, you know, I, you know, I'm living a pretty decent life. You're giving me this. Why are you giving me? I thought we had a deal, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, but if I'm in charge, I'm in charge. And there's going to be some things that you understand, and there's going to be some things that you don't understand. And some of the things that maybe you don't understand, that eventually you see the reasons explicitly why this happened, and you can connect the dots, and maybe sometimes it doesn't happen. And quite frankly, if I'm being honest, that truth, that catch can make me uncomfortable. But the flip side of that is to have a smaller Jesus than that. And that's where I get to the point where I'm like Peter and say, so where else are we going to go? To where else am I going to go? I don't want a smaller picture of Jesus. I want to be in the presence of the one who is most powerful. And Jesus shows up and he tells people, you, you're following me just because of what I've given you, just because I've filled your stomach. And eventually these people walk away. Here's the catch. Here's the first catch that they are encountering is that Jesus is saying about himself, I'm Lord, I'm King, I'm in charge. I'm not just Savior. It's not, I'm, I'm just not someone who's just only giving you good gifts just for you. I'm the one in charge. Your life really revolves around me. Now, the second catch builds on that first catch. And this statement may appear obvious at first. But let me explain this. Trust, not control, is actually the work that God requires. Trust actually, trust not control is actually the work that God requires. And you say, well, yeah, well, yeah why would I think that control is the work that God requires? Well, let me read the scripture first, and I'll explain this to you. The scripture is when they ask Jesus, again, we're going back to the beginning of this passage. 
beginning of the story. They said, Jesus, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And he answers a very simple statement. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work is this. Jesus says, if you, if you want to come to me, all you need to do is believe. Now, we've said this at South Point a hundred times through the years. This word believe is more than just like intellectually believing, yes, there is a God. This word is much closer to our English word of trust. The work of God is this, trusting the one that he has sent. And here's why I say trust, not control, is the work that God requires. Because so many people, and I've been one of them, I have lived in this in my faith journey at different periods and different seasons of life. So I'm speaking personally. So many people view God as just a religion, just as something that is transactional. And they, they approach God like this. God, you tell me to do this, to do that. You have this in your scripture, this in your word. And I'm going to do those things. And if I do those things, God, you owe me. And we don't like, this, we don't like to be honest about what we're saying, but when we are doing all the things that, that we think God requires... And then circumstance happens. Life happens, as we said. Something happens. When our reaction to God is, God, I did all the right things, and God, you did not keep up your end of the bargain. If we're breaking that down, what we're actually doing in that moment is saying, God, the reason I'm obeying you is so that you're going to give me what I want. You're going to give me the life that I want. What we're really trying to do in that moment is we're, obey- we're saying, God, I'm obeying so that I can have a little control over what happens. I can have this control over what happens or the circumstances that happen in my life. And the reality is that there are moments and seasons with, where you and I have very little control over what's happening in our lives. And Jesus says, if I'm king, if I'm the one who is actually in charge, your role in this is this word called trust. That's a word that Bethany and I have been talking about for months. Trust. Can you live in that trust? This is the work that God actually requires. And the third catch actually builds on these first two. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. And if he's in charge, our work, our role is to trust him. And here's the third catch. Here's what these people learn and they sense from Jesus through this teaching. Is that he's not talking just about a one-time trust. Jesus is actually calling for a continual trust. A trust for today. So many people in faith and they talk about trust that they had years ago where they believed in God. Their God stories are from decades ago. He's talking about right now. And we read the scripture here, what Jesus says when he's talking in the present terms. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he's, he's talking about this imagery of coming to him as the bread of life. He says, you remain in me. And he says, I in them. He says, just as the Father The living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. He says, so the one who feeds on me, the one who continually comes back to me, will live because of me. 
And he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors, yeah, he says, there's a story in the Old Testament. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. They died. They, yeah, they died. They perished. He says, but whoever comes to me and continually feeds on me, continually lives off me, continually trusts me, he says, that you will actually live forever. And this is the catch. It's about you trusting him now. Yes, making a decision for Jesus is very important, and many people have done this, but do you trust him right now? And the flip side of this, again, we talk about the flip side of each of these catches here. The flip side of this, this catch is that everything else, anything else in life that you trust in will eventually let you down. And it can be good things. You can trust in your talents, your ability at work, and maybe God's gifted you, and that's great, but eventually you're going to age. Your, your skills are going to diminish. You're going to retire. You can trust in your family. You can trust in great friends. Eventually, there's going to be a moment, there's going to be some event that happens where they're not there for you, where they do not live up to your expectations. No relationship can save you. No job can save you. Nothing's going to be perfect except for Jesus himself. If your trust is in anything else, you're eventually going to go hungry. And what Jesus says is, if your trust is in me, continual trust, continual feeding on me, he says, you will never, ever be hungry. So again, this passage, this story starts with people whom Jesus says, the only reason you're here is because of I've given you something. And it ends with those people walking away from Jesus. And what we're looking at today is we say, what's the catch? And Jesus says, here's the catch. I'm the Lord. I'm not just Savior. I'm the Lord. I'm in charge. Trust me to be God and to do it continually. How can we do this? Oftentimes we're skeptical of people who are in power. We're skeptical of people who are in leadership. We're skeptical of their character. We say, I want to see you do, I want to see you live this character that you're talking about. And fortunately, this whole story of Jesus is built on us seeing him actually live this out. One of my favorite verses from this passage is this verse here, 51, where Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. He, and he says, this bread is my flesh. And here's the line that I love here. He says, which I will give for the life of the world. The one who is the bread from heaven, the living bread for whom we can eat, continually feed off of. This is a bread that was broken. A body that was broken. That he gave for you and for me. The reason that we can come to the the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has all the power, the reason that we can trust him with our life, the reason we can trust him at each and every day is because he demonstrated his love for us by giving his life on the cross for you and for me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for giving us true life. And we confess that oftentimes we, we want to be in charge. I know I confess that I would prefer myself if, to, to be in control of all these different situations. 
but to acknowledge that you are in control, that you are Lord, that you are master, and you are, are much better at this than me. You are much better than each of us. Help us trust. I pray specifically for those who are going through very difficult seasons for whom they can't even see any connection from what you're doing to how this connects to life. God, I pray that you give them this gift of faith, this gift of trust in that, in that moment, in that season. We need you especially right then. And God, I pray that you help us be people who continually trust you. And as we do, help us continually show your goodness and your love to the rest of the world. We know there are people who are not in a church setting. They're not watching sermons or, or teachings on the screen, but they have this belief in you, yet they have so many questions. They, they, they oftentimes will lack trust because of the circumstances in their life. God, I pray that you put your followers in their lives to bring your goodness and your grace and your generosity and your mercy to them so that we can show, show them just a little bit of light to show them that you are a God who is trustworthy. God, please send your people. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stay safe. Have a great week.